Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from the Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the USA. Today is the 23rd of December, 2020, and we've been talking about the T lymphocyte metabolism associated with the regulation of the expression of pro-inflammatory cytokines upon induction uh, of the activation of the T cell receptor by antigen presenting cells. So we're going to continue along that discussion uh, this afternoon. So remember that we talked about last time that citric acid, when it is sent into the cytosol after it has been synthesized from pyruvate dehydrogenase and pyruvate carboxylase uh, producing first acetyl-CoA and then oxaloacetic acid, and then the condensation of those two metabolites via citrate synthase to citrate. Citrate leaves the mitochondrion through the tricarboxylic acid transport system as pyruvate enters. Citrate is then converted back to acetyl-CoA and oxaloacetic acid in the cytoplasm. And that reaction is known as ATP citrate lias. The acetyl-CoA that's generated cytosolically now will be used for de novo fatty acid synthesis, which we covered just uh, two days ago. Remember that acetyl-CoA is converted to malonyl-CoA via the acetyl-CoA carboxylase reaction. And then frank fatty acid synthase, which is a homodimer polymer uh, of all the enzymatic machinery that will synthesize um, long-chain saturated fatty acids from acetate. And we went through that whole pathway. So that's where we are right now in our metabolic grid. And I'm, now we're going to continue on with the narrative. So T-cell agency initiates upon stimulation of the TCR via a presentation of a cognate peptide MHC complex in association with a ligand mediator membrane co-receptor known as CD28, which is basically a co-stimulatory molecule, um, uh, in association with the presentation on the surface of the APC, the antigen presenting cell, all of that event is known as T-cell licensure. And it essentially quits quiescence of that T-cell and now gives a full activation. Now, T-cell receptor signals through the ERK-MAP kinase pathways. You also get a calcium influx where CD28 signaling actually activates the phosphatidylinositol 3 kinase AKT mTOR axis, and both pathways synergistically engage the NF-kappa-B or GANON of pleiotropic T-lymphocyte agency. You also have the interleukin-2, which acts as a growth factor, and that will also uh, co-stimulate the PI3 kinase, AKT mTOR signaling, and the TCR has also been implicated in activating the pathway. So that PI3 kinase, AKT mTOR axis, and mixed signaling are understood to be the primary regulators of the early metabolic changes associated with T-cell activation and ultimately to differentiation into all the potential effector cells. Now, Although an increasing strength of the stimulation through the TCR 
will do that licensing of the T cell. Glucose import in the absence of co-stimulation, the magnitude of that glucose import in in that particular setting actually remains low and is markedly diminished. GLUT1 expression, that's the transport that's going to bring glucose into the lymphocyte, is of course required uh, for functional effective T cell responses. So we know that it's functioning. Now the enzyme AKT, which works with the mTOR, AKT-mediated regulation of GLUT1 expression at the transcriptional level and glucose uptake is, of course, not at all unique to T-cells. You get this from multiple other cellular lineages. But it does allow T-cells to go from naive state to the activated state when you have an upregulation of GLUT1. There's a homeostatic maintenance of T-cells also by interleukin-7, And of course, that requires, because we talked about this in the past, PI3 kinase AKT signaling, and that further sustains GLUT1 expression. And that's through a mechanism which is dependent on STAT5 signaling, which is, again, canonical in T lymphocytes. Now, memory cells remain dependent on CD28-mediated PI3 kinase AKT signaling, and they alone, then, that, that system alone in memory cells will induce GLUT1 expression upon reactivation of memory cells. So they're poised, but a little bit later down the signal transduction cascade shunt because they're memory cells. They've already gone through at least one cycle of full activation uh, and then the production of cytokines and chemokines. However, memory T cells employ a lot of other mechanisms which we've talked about, not signaling as one. Remember, that's a direct signaling to transcription. And it does so via enhancing, uh, ultimately, AKT activation, GLUT1 expression, and, of course, all that is going to result in more glucose uptake. In contrast to effector T cells, the extent to which T regulatory cells engage the PI3 kinase AKT signaling to promote glucose utilization and, and the role of glycolysis in the biology in general is not as well established as the T effector cells. That's because, as we know, because you've been listening to my lectures in authentic biochemistry, T regs can go through differentiation and de differentiation. That is, they can turn on and off a suppressor activity. In fact, T regs are known to be able to alter the expression of transcription factors, and thus turn into TH17 fully functional cells, which of course are pro-inflammatory, where Tregs are all to suppress inflammation. There's a lot of other cellies that we talked about with Tregs too, which I'm sure you're recalling, or you can go back and listen to it. And we will, of course, reemphasize it where necessary uh, in this current lecture. Now, FOXP3, uh, which is the transcription factor in a serine Tregs, is reported to suppress the PI3 kinase AKT-mediated GLUT1 upregulation and the whole glycolytic program. And that's that's to basically maintain a suppressive capacity and a survival when the cells are in a low glucose environment. That means that the cells will utilize other carbon sources when necessary. Of course, they're not going to be going through any proliferation, so it's going to be in a maintenance diet of carbon source. Now, in contrast to murine Tregs, human Tregs must maintain elevated glycolytic activity 
to retain optimal suppressor activity. So you need a massive amount of glycolysis in human T regulatory cells that you just don't see that phenomena in the mouse model. So there's just another point of uh, uh, contention when you look at studies done in reputable biochemistry, physiology, genetic journals, biomedical journals that use animals, uh, animal models to describe what's going on with the immune system. Uh, here's another, you know, marked uh, differences where two roads separate out. In mice, you can have this very suppressed glycolytic activity for Tregs, but in the human Tregs, you have to have a very robust glycolytic activity to ever reach optimal suppressor function of the Tregs. So remember, we talked about thymic Tregs. Now, thymic Tregs upregulate GLUT1 expression to levels comparable to T helper one cells, actually. And they display very similar rates of glycolysis between those uh, two cousins in the, in the T cell lineage. Now, given the exposure to TGF beta results in diminished glycolysis and PI3 kinase signaling in both the peripheral and the thymic Tregs, which we mentioned about uh, two, three weeks ago, it's likely that exposure to that important cytokine, GGF-beta, explains some of the reported differences in Treg metabolism. So you see, this is where the, there's a lot of subtle uh, interaction between uh, what the initial signaling phase brings in in terms of uh, cytokines. And cytokines, remember, they're not always acting pro-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory, much more pro than anti, typically. But they also act as essentially signaling molecules for the T lymphocyte. And they can even act as transcriptional regulators, okay? Like TGF-beta is a good example of that. So further work is going to have to be done to really deconvolute all these relationships. And it's ongoing. It's a 2020 paper we're reading. Um, so probably this week we'll probably have a good five, five to 10 papers published on immune cell metabolism. Now, not all of them are going to give us new information because a lot of this work has to be done and done several times in different systems to understand if there is a canonical pathway for T cell activation at the level of bioenergetics. Uh, we do know all the players and we do have a really good idea of what the sequence of events are but we don't have a canonical feature of this yet, but we're working on it. Now, this paper I'm, I'm reporting from does talk about two types of signaling, a top-down and a bottom-up. For Now, this is all involved in bioenergetic gene expression in T lymphocytes. So the top-down signaling regulates the programming of T cell metabolism, which is all going to, again, be downstream, of TCR activation with that MHC antigen presentation from an APC. You also need that full co-stimulation with CD28 uh, to ultimately get uh, the this so-called top-down metabolic signaling. And what is associated with this uh, to get the full signaling, of course, is a cytokine signaling. So it's acting as sort of a growth factor, really. So you have T cell receptor being fully activated. You have CD28 being co-stimulated. You have cytokines like interleukin-2 and interleukin-7 binding to their respective receptors. And then you also have on these T lymphocytes, very prominently negative regulators. 
These are PD-1 and CTLA-4, which we've talked a great deal about. So remember, if you um, raise antibodies against either one of those uh, pathways, you will then allow for T cells to be re-energized, reactivated. And this is actually a key feature of checkpoint inhibitors in tumor biology, right? So I want you to know that those pathways act as negative regulators, the PD-1, program death one, and the CTLA-4, those are found in the surface of all T cells, and that those would then block this pathway. What's the pathway that's induced? Well, we already know. TCR will directly induce CMYK. CMYK then is going to act as transcription factor to increase the genes responsible for glycolysis, amino acid uh, uh, metabolism. So these are all part of a signal transduction and de novo gene transcription cascade coming from the TCR directly to CMYK, okay? Now, the co-stimulatory CD28 turns on the canonical PI3 kinase, AKT, which turns on mTOR. mTOR also activates CMYK, turning on glycolysis, amino acid metabolism. But it also, so turning on mTOR also allows for the sterile responsive element binding protein 1,2 to be phosphorylated. And when that occurs, you get an increase in lipid biosynthesis and lipid metabolism, right? So the mTOR itself is responsible for increasing glucose uptake. And of course, the enzyme is responsible for the glycolytic pathway. So that's basically the top-down signaling. So you get an increased transcription and activation of mTOR and of CMYK, which, as I've been saying, are two major or master regulators of anabolism. And of course, mTOR and CMYK are required to increase glucose uptake and metabolism, whereas CMYK by itself is also critical for this increasing amino acid metabolism and in fact, indeed, nucleic acid biosynthesis necessary, of course, for full uh, DNA recombination, repair, which is constantly going on, but also, of course, transcription and translation, all of which needs a lot of nucleic acid. mTOR activates increased lipid metabolism also through that SREBP12, and that's what we're getting at last time at the end of that lecture where we were talking about uh, the synthesis of fatty acids. Remember that you have glycolysis uh, and you, you have some lactic acid fermentation, but a component of that carbon does go through the PDH increasingly as these cells are fueling up, keying up to make cytokines and chemokines for an inflammatory response. Uh, the pyruvate is converted via PDH to acetyl-CoA and through pyruvate decarboxylase, excuse me, pyruvate carboxylase to oxaloacetic acid, all that happening in the mitochondria. Then you get the condensation of OAA with acetyl-CoA to citrate because there's a lot of NADH available in the cell because of a high glycolytic flux, the dehydrogenase and the TCA cycle are all locked up because they work under the ratio of NADH over NAD. So plentiful NADH is going to stop all the dehydrogenases, such as the isocitrate dehydrogenase, the first one that's going to have that elevated ratio of NADH and NAD. That's going to build back up, not to acconidate, but to citrate. Citrate is going to leave the cell, run through the ATP citrate lyse cycle or a pathway, and that's going to resynthesize acetyl-CoA and OAA in the cytoplasm. And that acetyl-CoA will go on to make not only fatty acids and then ultimately triacylglycerol for storage, to have the accommodation of bioenergetics to run the um, cytokine biosynthetic pathways, but also it's going to regenerate OAA, and then OAA can then plow back into 
uh, the pathway leading back into the mitochondria to to further fuel the uh, process of citrate synthesis and utilization for lipid metabolism. Now, bottom-up metabolic signaling, uh, which is also really important, that basically where you have metabolite regulation rather than uh, sense-restricted um, signaling molecules. And so the metabolites themselves act as signaling effector molecules because what's going on, of course, you get increased rates of glucose and amino acid uptake and you get metabolism of that of the carbohydrate and of the amino acids. That generates a lot of other metabolites in those pathways that are conditioned and that are receiving the amino acids and the carbohydrate. So then you generate a lot of key signaling effectors. And that process is called bottom-up metabolic signaling because it arises from the metabolic play itself. So you get high levels of glycolytic intermediates. They alter the activity of things like RNA binding proteins. They regulate post-translational glycosylation, which is important for what, right? For the movement of the cytokines and chemokines out of the cells because they have to go through that UDP glucose, the Loy pathway uh, of ultimately uh, the ER, the Golgi, and then the plasma membrane to leave the cell. Uh, you also get uh, key, uh, the key regulator AMP kinase is also going to be highly regulatory here. So amino acid transport is going to turn on mTOR. And remember, that's going to be used for protein translation. The GLUT1 is going to bring in glucose. and It's going to be metabolized to, uh, throughout glycolytic pathway, which is going to build up glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate. And that's going to give you an effector function, remember, because we told you the gap dehydrogenase acts as an effector functional at the level of transcription in the nucleus. Remember that whole talk? You also then have a, a certain ratio of ATP to AMP. And once that ratio is above unity, above one, you basically shut down AMP kinase in this metabolite signaling pathway. Shutting down AMP kinase means you do not block mTOR. So mTOR is allowed to carry out then translation of the proteins necessary to run this induction process. The glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate can also be used to make UDP glucnac, uh, and you get, therefore, N-glycosylation of G-protein-coupled receptors. That's going to give you on the surface a lot of environmental regulation of signaling that goes down uh, when it's necessary to flip, ultimately, the signaling going from glucose to fatty acids, which we'll talk about later. We talked about CD28 co-stimulation. Uh, we talked about direct impact on PN3 kinase and AKT. So when you affect PN3 kinase, you turn PIP2, that's phosphonacetol bisphosphate, into a PIP3, which is the trisphosphate form. Um, that is all going to be proactive in turning on the transcription of these uh, pro-inflammatory cytokines. Um, and when PIP2 is in high enough concentration, it will turn on phospholipase C. Phospholipase C will generate inositol, trisphosphate, and diacylglycerol. Diacylglycerol will work through the MAP kinase junk signaling pathway. Now we're talking full-blown activated T lymphocyte. And also, if you get phosphenylpyruvate coming from glycolysis and inositol, trisphosphate, coming from the PLC reaction, you're going to then uh, activate the circa response, which is the calcium transporter, and you're going to get calcium flux. All of this will then lead to a fully functional, fully activated T cell. 
all based downstream from T-cell receptor activation and then all that co-stimulatory property we talked about. So what's next on the agenda? Pathways that antagonize any of this co-stimulation. That includes signaling downstream of the co-inhibitory receptors. I did mention them to you and I reemphasize them. I'll tell you one more time. That's CTLA-4 and PD-1. All of those are going to impair glucose uptake and metabolism. Now, for example, think about this way. Think about a tumor in the brain. Tumor in the brain is going to try to shut down any key lymphocytes that have infiltrated through the blood-brain barrier, right? Because otherwise that tumor could become destroyed by the activity of the key lymphocytes or, or even other components of the lymphocytic pathway, like natural killer cells. All of those are going to be expressing CTLA-4 and the uh, PD-1 receptors on the surface. The, the, what the um, tumor does is it makes a lot of the ligand for those two receptors, therefore shutting down the T lymphocyte. And actually what's been found to occur at the bioenergetic level is you get impaired glucose uptake and impaired glycolysis. So now we know that rest of that story. In fact, engagement of the CTLA-4 inhibits glucose uptake and glycolysis, and it maintains a metabolic profile, basically what looks like um, quiescent or non-activated T cells. The PD-1 ligation also impairs glucose metabolism, but of course it additionally promotes fatty acid oxidation of endogenous lipids, and those are going to be the storage triacylglycerol, both in the setting of the primary activation and the chronic antigen stimulation mode, such as in a tumor microenvironment. Now, what's important here is that PD-1 signaling is chronically stimulated in T uh, cells. When you have PD-1 signaling in chronically stimulated T cells, what that will do induces a metabolically irreversible state, and it won't be rescued by PD-1 blockade by using monoclonal antibodies PD-1. So that instead will ultimately, unfortunately, promote reactive oxygen species and cell deaths. You're not going to get away around it. Even if you try to add a monoclonal antibody to PD-1, when it's too late in the cell differentiation activation cycle, all that the even the inhibitor does is it promotes the death of the T lymphocyte, which of course means it's not going to be functioning um, in at the level of uh, tumor um, ablation. Now, downstream of the co-stimulatory P3 kinase AKT, you have the mTOR kinase pathway. And of course, that's going to be integrating multiple signals that are going to be anabolic in nature. So you're going to have a reprogramming in the T cells. You're going to exit quiescence. You're going to have a complex form with that mTOR. It's called mTOR1. And all that's going to be required for proliferation. Because once you turn on the mTORC1, you've got cell cycle entry. You also coordinate all the early metabolic changes that have to occur upon T cell activation. And those T cells that are deficient, for example, in Raptor, remember that important protein cofactor, which is an essential component of mTORC1, they will fail to upregulate the expression of the GLUT1 and all the other glycolytic enzymes necessary for uh, that glycolytic pathway, generating all those enemies we just talked about. So raptor-deficient T cells will also exhibit defects in de novo lipid synthesis, because remember, you're still running the citrate synthase and the ATP citrate lyase pathways. Also, when you don't have raptor, 
you get a uh, defect in oxidative phosphorylation, which means you're not going to be able to generate any energy because without oxidative phosphorylation, you back back up to having a lot of NADH, which needs to be oxidized, and you can generate a lot of reactive oxygen that way. So all of that tells us that the mTOR pathway is a global regulator of the T-cell metabolic uh, sequence programming. Now, beyond activation, the mTOR also regulates T-cell metabolism in differentiated effector T-cells. And the raptor deficiency leads to an impaired lipid biosynthetic pathway and, of course, mitochondrial respiration in Tregs and, in fact, in B follicular helper T-cells, also known as TFH cells, which we talked about about a month ago now in authentic biochemistry. And now all of those results I just told you are dependent on which model you're looking at. Um, mouse models and different knockouts and different strategies. So it's like everything in authentic biochemistry, nothing always moves in one direction. When you overstimulate a signal, you can actually get a reversal um, of the entire system, right? So the valence of the system can go from um, pro to anti just by altering the relative concentrations of the metabolites. And this is really an important key feature, not just in the immune response, which has to react quickly, but also in any effector cell biology. So the regulation of mTOR signaling during T-cell activation differentiation is it basically going to be regulated via um, several different components, which are going to result in an asymmetric cell division and because you get asymmetric cell division, you're going to have different types of T cells formed because each of those are going to respond somewhat um, uh, anecdotally to the changes in the bioenergetic grid. Anecdotally, not meaning stochastically or random, but anecdotally meaning you have to look at each of those T cell populations depending on how they're going to turn in terms of their valence up or down. Right? So all kinds of different effector metabolic programs can need to be studied in all of those T-cell subsets. So CD8 memory T-cells deficient in Richter, for example, which is similar to Raptor, although it's the essential component in mTORC2, are completely unable to sustain glycolysis upon reactivation, although they can initiate glycolysis. And we know this because this is all rapamycin insensitive. So that means that that mTOR complex isn't functioning because if the rapamycin insensitive, it means that mTOR is not playing its role because that's what mTOR is, sensitive to rapamycin, right? So the mTOR fat pathway functions primarily, if you haven't already heard it from me and I haven't emphasized it, I know I've done both, but I will do it here very importantly. The mTOR pathway functions through post-transcriptional regulation of a, of a host of key transcription factors, even though there's transcription factors like TBAT, which is really important in T-cell, uh, CD4-positive T-cell differentiation, can be regulated directly by mTOR1, okay? So mTOR functions at multiple levels of sequence ontology. Raptor deficient T-cells, going back to this discussion, have a diminished protein level of two primary regulators of lipid synthesis. We've talked about them many times. 
the SREPP1 and 2. Those are the sterile regulatory element binding proteins 1 and 2. These act as transcription factors, right, for lip, lip metabolism. So Raptor knockout T cells have a reduced mRNA expression of genes that encode the enzymes in glycolysis, as well as fatty acid and sterile biosynthetic pathways, all of which is going to then corrupt T cell differentiation. mTORC1 mediated signaling is also required for the proteomic remodeling of all these pathways, including uh, carbon-1 metabolism, fatty acid, that would be like folic acid metabolism, fatty acid oxidation, and of course the ETC, electron transport chain. All of that occurs early in activating T cells. mTOR, of course, also modulates T cell metabolism through control of hypoxia-inducible factor alpha-1, uh, and at least in some of the contexts that have been studied, not all. But the loss of HIF-1-alpha in, for example, TH17 and CD8 T cell lineages, but not any of the other subsets, including Tregs or activation states that I've just discussed, will lead to decreased expression of GLUT1 and a lot of other key metabolic uh, genes, which ultimately means those proteins won't be made available. So, <clears throat> so signaling through mTOR also regulates the key metabolic transcription factor CMYK, which, as we saw, drives everything. <coughs> Raptor deficiency results in loss of semic protein without changing transcript levels, but that's similar to the effect of the SREVP genes, all of which is occurring in early activated T cells. So I know we've gone through a lot, and it looks like we're almost out of time. I'm going to try to get one more lecture in before Christmas. Uh, this is Dr. Dan Guerra, comes to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios on the afternoon of the 23rd of December. And I'm saying bye for now.